Welcome to the ninth podcast in the Financial Framework series. Financial Frameworks is dedicated to helping you create a stronger financial decision-making process by using interdisciplinary tools that makes finance personal and integrates your values with these tools. Is learning about money important to you? Do you feel that you are making good decisions and would like to understand more about how you do that? And always my third question, do you know what you don't know about solid financial decision-making? If those questions resonate and this approach makes sense to you, you should find this helpful. If it doesn't, maybe it will at some later time and you will be interested in listening then. I'm Mike Lehan, the author of Financial Frameworks. In addition to teaching finance to operations managers for 18 years, I worked in a Fortune 100 financial services firm for 13. These podcasts bring what I learned in both settings to the internet in 15 to 20 minute segments. Hopefully, they will ignite your desire for more knowledge about making solid financial decisions. In the last Financial Frameworks podcast, we talked about frameworks and also value investing. Given the fluctuations in the financial world right now, for example, my portfolio experienced a 5% swing just yesterday, this week is a good time to revisit those topics with a couple of useful insights from far more experienced and wiser individuals than myself, and then apply those to today's volatility. Let's walk through the seven-part framework I recommended earlier and use it to navigate the current issue of volatility. As we go through the steps, I hope that you will repeatedly ask yourself, does this make sense, or what is he leaving out, and how can I use this? Number one, the objective of the analysis, the problem I'm solving. The long-term objective for you is to hold on to the value of your assets. If you started the day with $50,000, you want that $50,000 to continue growing for your use or as the foundation of your retirement when you stop working. With the recent market declines and the triple issues of Russian war, inflation, and the Federal Reserve raising interest rates, is this a Mr. Market moment, which I will explain shortly, or are assets about to decrease in value significantly for a lengthy time period? And secondly, how do I sort it out and then act on it? Steps two and three in the framework are the price and the value of the assets. What do they cost and what will the future value be? In this problem, cost and worth are closely tied. What is the cost of making a poor decision? And what are the benefits of increasing the value of your assets after the volatility dust settles? We will use a decision tree to work at answering cost and worth admittedly without a crystal ball, but being consistent with our values and being as thoughtful, comprehensive, and complete in our analysis as possible. Step four, risk assessment. What could happen that would cause me harm? This is the starting point for our analysis. What are the risks associated with each possible course of action? The fundamental risk is loss of capital or assets due to financial securities decreasing in value for a significant period of time. Assuming that possibility, let's list decision options in order to take action before the fact, knowing what we know today. Using a simplified decision tree, four options are outlined here. A. Wait out the stock market volatility with the current holdings. B. Wait volatility out and add assets when significant drops in market values 
have occurred. C. Sell assets at a discount to the previous high values and keep the funds liquid or in cash, losing some ground to inflation but holding on to the principal. D. Sell the existing assets and move them to some more stable form of asset, a fixed income security, until markets are less volatile. Those are four clear options to respond to volatility risk ahead of time. Now let's sort out the choices applying framework step five to review values, knowledge, and strategies to determine a choice of action. Step five, what are my values in financial terms? What action reflects and is consistent with my values? We'll break this down into four questions and answer them. Question one, what biases do I have that are most likely in play here? I think that your and my loss aversion bias would be pretty strong, but the market's going down. One doesn't like to see stocks going down. And then secondly, normalcy bias would come into play, wanting to see the dips during the day turn into returns to the original value or even gains by the end of the day. This is purely emotional. The second question, what are the critical pieces of information regarding my holdings? What do I understand about their prospects for the future within my time frame? What one does in that situation is review the earnings and the balance sheets for major holdings. Are the earnings projections solid? Will they continue to sell products and services, preferably at a high profit, but even at a lower profit for the foreseeable future? Secondly, with regard to the balance sheet, are there sufficient assets to withstand, let's say, two more rounds of COVID? We'll assume there are no surprises there, that your holdings are solid, and we'll move on to a review of leading and lagging economic indicators that shouldn't take long. They're published in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, You can find them on Yahoo Finance. Indicators that might indicate that a recession could be on the horizon. Some people are saying it's coming, others are not. That is for you to determine which opinions and basis for those opinions make sense to you. Third, some indicators suggest that stocks are overpriced. Is that the case? Are your stocks overpriced? Finally, review debt, employment, production data, and decide what the future prospects of one holdings are. The third question, what is my investing framework and does that include a sell strategy? If your framework is a value investing buy and hold framework that is based on steady growth rates and you employ a two-part sell strategy of selling if the company's story changes negatively or or if the stock reaches a pre-assigned target price that you had set at which point you would sell it. If any of those are the case, then you would act on options A and B, a holding and reviewing. If your framework is short-term oriented and you are definitely risk averse, you may choose to cite rule one, just don't lose the principal. If that is the case, or you need the funds in less than two years, you will lean toward option C or D in moving to more conservative positions. The last question in our strategy is, what are my assumptions for the long-term health of the financial markets? Do I believe that the movements in the markets right now are based on fundamentals? And what are my assumptions? We'll answer this question by quoting from Benjamin Graham and from Peter Lynch. To choose options A or B, one's view of the U.S. financial markets is that the short-term 
will be volatile, could include a significant correction, and within a short period of time, let's say 18 months, robust economic activity will return and continue to drive continued economic growth. This belief would be based on readings regarding savings, household liquidity, and the usefulness of products produced by American companies like Apple, Coca-Cola, IBM, General Motors, Tesla, Procter & Gamble, and finally that inflation will return to a 2-3% to within a year. These observations, which are about fundamentals, would be combined with Benjamin Graham's description of Mr. Market in The Intelligent Investor. Graham cited Mr. Market to explain sharp reductions in market valuations that was not based on fundamentals. To quote Mr. Graham, imagine that in some private business, you own a small share that cost you $1,000. One of your partners named Mr. Market is very obliging indeed. Every day he tells you what he thinks your interest is worth and furthermore offers either to buy you out or to sell you an additional interest on that basis. Sometimes his idea of value appears plausible and justified by business developments and prospects as you know them. Often, on the other hand, Mr. Market lets his enthusiasm or his fears run away with him, and the value he proposes seems to you a little short of silly. If you are a prudent investor or a sensible businessman, will you let Mr. Market's daily communication determine your view of the value of a $1,000 interest in the enterprise? Only in case you agree with him or in case you want to trade with him. You may be happy to sell out to him when he quotes a ridiculously high price and equally happy to buy from him when his price is low. But the rest of the time, you will be wiser to form your own ideas of the value of your holdings based on full reports from the company about its operations and financial position. The true investor is in that very position when he owns a listed common stock. He can take advantage of the daily market price or leave it alone, as dictated by his own judgment and inclination. He must take cognizance of important price movements, for otherwise his judgment will have nothing to work on. Conceivably, they may give him a warning signal, which he will do well to heed. This in plain English means that he is to sell his shares because the price has gone down, foreboding worse things to come. However, in our view, such signals are misleading at least as often as they are helpful. Basically, price fluctuations have only one significant meaning for the true investor. They provide him with an opportunity to buy wisely when prices fall sharply and to sell wisely when they advance a great deal. At other times, he will do better if he forgets about the stock market and pays attention to his dividend returns and to the operating results of his companies. Peter Lynch in One Up on Wall Street describes taking a long-awaited vacation in Ireland in October of 1987, while the fund he managed, the Magellan Fund, and his shareholders unexpectedly lost 18% of their holdings, and the Dow Jones Industrial Index dropped by 32% on Monday, October 19, 1987. I should note he returned to Boston pretty quickly. I remember that October of 1987, how inexplicable it was and how dramatic. Mr. Lynch continued to manage Fidelity Investments Magellan Fund 
and set records for mutual fund returns over a 25-year period. Mr. Lynch continues to consistently advise individuals to never be out of the market unless you have significant financial expertise that dictates otherwise. The Magellan Fund recovered. Number six, the context of the analysis. Timing, external factors. We've already covered this one. The primary contextual elements that investors and non-investors, for that matter, are paying attention to right now are the Russian invasion of Ukraine, how that will affect global markets, including the sanctions and the reordering of global supply lines. Secondly, the chairman of the Federal Reserve's remarks that interest rates could rise by 50 basis points in May. And finally, current inflation rates. Our seventh element in the framework is to assume that money and capital are not static. A dollar tomorrow may not be the same as a dollar today. We've already factored this into our thinking because one of our main concerns is inflation and how that's affecting the markets. Also, our primary focus right now is on the immediate future. Conclusion. The short answer is that if you follow the process outlined, you will come to conclusions that fit your mind's eye match your experience of the world, are based on solid data, and fit your situation. That may seem vague, but it falls usually into one of three areas. In my experience and conversations with former students, most people follow one of three courses of action. One course of action, since many students of mine had many earning years ahead of them, was to hold their positions, possibly add assets at market low points with the logic that General Motors is going to keep selling cars and everybody's not going to stop drinking Coca-Cola. These students did their homework with regard to individual stocks and felt that their holdings would still pay dividends, be in business, and would be profitable, certainly over the next 10 to 15 years. The second action for those with most of their assets in 401ks was to study their holdings more closely to see if they had other choices. The third action that I have seen a number of individuals take is to sell all of their holdings, take the 10 to 20 to 25% haircut, and either put the proceeds in savings or treasuries until conditions changed. These individuals chose to preserve their capital at that point and not wait for a market event and probable recovery. As noted before, I'm not a person with fiduciary responsibility for the holdings of any of my former students. Our conversations are and have been similar to this podcast. We outline options. We make sure the person has collected as much information as possible. I remind them of a bond trader that I used to work with would often say, we never have enough information, enough time, or enough money, but we have to pull the trigger and make the call anyway. So do your job well. We confirm that the person has reviewed their biases and assumptions and that they are very clear about their choices. The students and I have often discussed their thoughts and their reasoning after their actions, sometimes immediately and sometimes long after the fact, to discuss what they were thinking at the time and how they have reflected and learned from their actions. With that said, it seems to me that some words from President Lincoln fit our situation today and the ending of this podcast. He said, Always bear in mind that your own resolution to succeed is more important than any other thing. I hope that you found this useful. I look forward to bringing you Financial Frameworks Podcast 10 
in which we will talk about reading financial statements, looking at a couple of examples to see if we can figure out earnings potential, and talk about the tools that we use to make those projections. Thank you for listening. Mike Lehan.